If you have your Bibles this morning, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, The scriptures this morning will not be on the screen. So again, if you have your Bibles or you want to open the app uh, on your phone, I encourage you to do that. Uh, There are a lot of things that I don't know, but one thing I do know is that we hate to wait. Is anybody with me there? Uh, Unfortunately, many of our daily tasks include a fair amount of waiting. Oftentimes, we will go to great lengths to avoid waiting. Uh, Anyone make a phone call this week and got put on hold for more than 30 minutes? Yes, you understand my distress from from this previous week. Uh, How many of you perhaps have calculated the fastest route to get to and from work if there's five or six possibilities? You've tried them all, you've timed yourself, and you've figured out which one is the fastest. Uh, How many of you, uh, at the same time, based on different uh, alternatives, uh, whether it's the time of the day, the day of the week, weather conditions, perhaps adjust your route that you take? Uh, How many of you, then, when you get stuck in a traffic jam on the route of your choosing, you thought would be the fastest, You imagine to yourself or you think, you convince yourself you have lost some imaginary contest. Between calculating the fastest way home, perhaps trying to anticipate which line at the grocery store will get me the fastest to the register, perhaps counting down the days to Christmas. Maybe you've been on a road trip and you've heard those familiar words from the back seat. Are we there yet? The principle behind all of these things is this. If I could just cut down on the waiting time as much as possible, let's do that. Because when I wait, I'm missing out on real life. In effect, waiting prevents me from participating in those things that are truly meaningful and important to me. I think this attitude carries over to those things that are actually significant to us in this life. Granted, getting to the register as quickly as you can at Walmart may sound significant to you, but I think there are larger things in life where waiting matters significantly. We, as a church, are waiting in this period of waiting on a couple of things. We're waiting on the next pastor. We're waiting on the next childcare director. And I'm sure there are people here today who are experiencing perhaps a personal season of waiting in your life. The one who is single, and you've been waiting to find that someone special. Maybe being in a dating relationship that doesn't seem to be moving forward, and and you're waiting for, for him to propose, or for her, for something to happen. Maybe being out of work or, or the job that you do have, you're, you just don't like it. And you've been waiting for the next job or a better job to come along. Maybe there's relational reconciliation or restoration that you're hoping for, that you're longing for, but it just doesn't seem like it's around the corner. We all know of parents who have been waiting courageously for years for their wayward son or, or daughter to finally come around. Perhaps it's been an unsuccessfully, you've been unsuccessfully trying to get pregnant and every month has become this, this waiting game and this, this cycle of just disappointment and the prospect of more 
waiting to come. If we peer to, to any one of these situations, and there's hundreds of more that exist within life, we would find people probably who are wrestling with God, asking the question, what is taking you so long? Why must I wait? Are you even listening, God? Waiting in these kinds of situations is not simply an inconvenience. Waiting in these situations is actually painful. And the longer we wait, the more it becomes a test of our character and and a test of our faith. In our scripture today, Jesus shares with his disciples a parable, which is really just a story that illustrates a deeper truth. But before we look at Matthew 25 together, it might be helpful just to get some of the background. We find Jesus only days before his arrest, his torture, and and his crucifixion in this moment. He started doing things recently that are pretty unique to his, to his ministry. Until now, he's mainly avoided the capital city of Jerusalem, but now he has thrust himself into the middle of that city, and he's challenging the establishment head on. For the first time, he's accepted public support and, and the acknowledgement that he is the Messiah that is to come. And he's begun to tell his disciples strange things. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, and he's talking about the end of this age. He's telling them that he's going away, and he's going to, before he goes away, he's going to, have to, he's going to be betrayed, and he's going to be, be executed. His disciples, as you and I would be, are concerned. They don't know, uh, they don't like the prospect of, of being left alone. But like any good Jew in that moment and at that time, they knew the prophecies. They knew that the Messiah would usher in the supernatural destruction of, of worldly powers and that God's kingdom would finally be established on earth. So in Matthew 24, they ask the question, when will be the sign of your coming and the end of age that you're talking about, Jesus? Basically, they're asking Jesus, while you're on the topic of future events that you've been talking about, that you're trying to inform us about, how long are we going to have to wait for you? How will we know when you're coming Now, if you and I, again, were amongst these disciples, and maybe even today, maybe we're asking the same question. I mean, we are faced with the the prospect of waiting, aren't we? We think if only we knew how long we had to wait, then it would make the waiting a little bit easier to swallow. Jesus spends the rest of chapter 24 indulging their their question. He's talking about the end of the age, speaking about apocalyptic mysteries and, and these visions of, of the future. And then he follows this by three stories about what the kingdom of heaven is like. The first of which is a parable that we will share together today. It's the parable of the ten virgins. Now this parable, rather than kind of entertain the disciples' question, which is what any good rabbi would do in, this, in, 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 in their ministry and service to their disciples. This parable focuses, tries to focus the disciples back on the central 
message. So if you have your Bibles open, you can follow along. I'll begin reading in verse 1, Matthew chapter 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. We say thanks be to God. Now, weddings in the first century were a little bit different than weddings today. Weddings were huge. I mean, city-states would be just shut down. Everyone would show up at the wedding. It was a celebration that lasted not just an afternoon and and an evening, but it was a celebration that would last the whole week. Now, once a prospective husband had proposed, he would bring a large sum of money to secure the engagement. And after the betrothal contract was settled, he would go away in order to earn a living and prepare a place for him and his wife to be to live. It is unthinkable that the groom would not come back, both because he had given a large sum of money in order to secure this marriage, uh, but also because he's spending much time working behind the scenes so that everything is ready to go and just right for the marriage. The week of the wedding would come. And everything would be decorated. If you were a traveler or a foreigner that was passing through the town, you would immediately recognize and understand and know there is a wedding celebration happening. The night before the ceremony, the bridegroom would come to get his bride to take to his father's house. Being that it was in the evening, the bridesmaids would go out and and wait on the bridegroom with lamps to light the path to his bride. So at the center of this parable, Jesus knew that it would be crucial for his disciples to understand what he was trying to communicate. It is this idea that waiting is simply a part of kingdom living. It's just a part of the kingdom living. Life. I believe this story does apply to apocalyptic context. We are waiting for Jesus to return, and he will come back again. But I believe this story can also apply not only to our waiting for the second coming of Christ, but also to periods of waiting for movements of God. 
both in our personal life as well as our collective living as a church. When we encounter times of waiting, I believe this parable tells us that we're measured not so much by our ability to to wait out these periods with just our own sheer willpower, but instead by uh, whether we have sustained a life of faith, whether we have prepared properly for the coming kingdom. The first question that I think can be helpful for us this morning as we think about our waiting as a church, our waiting in our own personal lives, the first question that I think could be helpful for us is, who am I waiting for? Now, this may sound elementary. Uh, It may sound like an odd question. Uh, We know who we're waiting for. But even in this story, the bridegroom, we understand, represents Jesus. However, we must not overlook the fact it is vitally important that we know who we are waiting for. I think many of us in times within our own lives wait for different things. And if we took the time this morning to really ask ourselves, what is it we are waiting for? We would answer it with a what instead of a who. It may be the job that you believe, if I could only then fulfillment and contentment, I would know. Perhaps it's a diploma to pave the way, uh, our circumstances to align just right. Perhaps you're waiting on the government to, to bail you out when you get in trouble. Perhaps it's medical science to, to cure the disease that currently doesn't have a cure. We wait, we wait, we wait, and we, and we put our hope in these things because they appear to be more present, they're, they're more tangible uh, they're more responsive, perhaps, to our needs and, and our desires. We put our, our, our hope and we, we wait on things rather than asking ourselves, who am I waiting for? The psalmist in, in Psalm 30, I want to read a, a couple of verses, uh, gives us a, a beautiful uh, picture. Great wisdom for us to consider as we think about our waiting. Psalm chapter 30, verse 20 says we wait in hope for the lord he is our help he is our shield in him our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name may your unfailing love be with us lord even as we put our hope in you in the book of lamentations the prophet jeremiah in chapter 3 he gives us uh, again similar language Uh, He tells us what his hope is in and what our hope should be in. In verse 19, he says, I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope because of the great love of God. We are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait on him. The Lord is good to those who hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Who are we waiting for? Today in our, our fast-paced consumer culture, I think this is a, uh, maybe a, a difficult concept to grasp. 
When we see something we want, we expect it to be ours. All that is required is the right resources. We make a simple transaction and voila, instant gratification. We bring this attitude into the kingdom and whenever we have a need that needs to be met, we expect a reasonable time frame. If our waiting goes too long, we expect that something must be wrong. We're not doing things right or perhaps even more damaging that God is punishing us or that God doesn't care about us. Here's the thing about the kingdom of heaven. As participants in this kingdom, when we become a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, we've given up the right to wait for the things that we want. Now, as citizens and participants in the kingdom of heaven, we wait for the king. We are now waiting for the king. We are bound to his desires, his timing. When it comes to our lives, he is the king. He's the king. It's his prerogative to decide his comings and his goings. So as you experience periods of waiting in your life, we have to ask ourselves, are we truly waiting on God? And do I believe, really, that he is trustworthy? A second question that I think we can, can learn from this passage is, what is the quality of my waiting? What's the quality of our waiting? The point in Jesus telling this story is not about 2,000 years uh, of trying to, to whip up expectations that he just might come very soon. Even as uh, the disciples are, are pumping Jesus for more answers about the end times, Jesus in this story is telling them that it's not about the quantity of waiting. He's trying to get his disciples to understand. What's more important, I believe, is the quality of your wait. It's not about the timeline, but it's about how we wait. Jesus presents to us these ten virgin bridesmaids. Right away, he clues us to the fact that, that five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. They go out from the bride's house to meet the bridegroom and, and his entourage, who apparently were scheduled to come sometime that evening. Here we have the critical distinction between those who are wise and those who are foolish. Five of them come prepared with extra oil for their lamps. The groom that night is delayed. In fact, it's so delayed that the bridesmaids find themselves drifting off into sleep. If Jesus were telling this story today, he might say, Ten bridesmaids were driving to a wedding, but they didn't know exactly how far away the church was. Five filled their tanks before, the le- before they left, but the other five didn't. The foolish five who didn't fill their tanks ran out of gas and missed the wedding. The point is this. The foolish ones were amazed and astonished when they woke up to find that their lamps went out when the oil dried up. They looked as silly uh, to Jesus' listeners as people using cars who neglect to get gas. So the people who wait wisely in Jesus' kingdom are those people who take the time to make preparation in order to have enough oil 
for their lamps. The lamps in this parable, I think, represent the state of our hearts this morning. Both your heart and my heart and our hearts together. The question is, when it is time, when the wait is over, will God find our hearts well cared for and ready to respond to his initiative? Or in the moment when God says, now is the time, will we be ill-prepared and not ready? It's possible to manufacture what looks like a good Christian life, but having lamps in hand which seem once to burn well is no guarantee that they will burn in the future. It's all too tempting to want to know Christ in order to get into heaven, but then to ignore the fact that he desires to have an ongoing, continuing relationship with us. With us. Jesus isn't interested merely in in saving people from judgment, but I believe just as important He's interested in transforming our hearts, enabling people to live in relationship with God. He wants us to have this dynamic, growing, ongoing relationship with Him. Are you and I putting the right things into our heart while we are waiting? Are we together Waiting in such a way that we will be prepared when the wait is over. When the wait is over. You know what uh, is a final, I think, takeaway from this parable this morning? I think a great thing about this parable is is something that uh, I think we all can find comfort in together this morning. Is that a heart truly transformed by Jesus can rest easy. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? A heart that has been truly transformed, a heart that longs and desires to continue to grow in their relationship with God, that heart, that life, that person can rest easy. That's so refreshing for me. Notice that all the bridesmaids in our story fell asleep But it wasn't an issue. It wasn't a problem for the bridesmaids that were prepared. They were prepared. In the same way, when our life is filled with this active relationship with Jesus, we have no need to worry when God comes and shows up at unexpected times, even as we wait for Him. He gives His Spirit to sustain He gives His Spirit to direct us, to lead us in the way of eternal life even now. As I said in the beginning, waiting is just a a part of life. It's not only a part of life when we're at the grocery store or on the phone being uh, put on hold. It's a part of kingdom living as well. But as you experience times of waiting... I want to encourage you, I want to encourage myself, I want to encourage us this morning to ask ourselves, who is it that we're waiting on? What is the quality of our waiting? Will we be prepared when God shows up, when God says the time is now? 
Because the one thing we can be sure of in this kingdom, if we, followers of Jesus, choose to actively participate in this waiting and do it well, our waiting will not be in vain. There are many walks of life represented here this morning. I'm sure there are those among us that are waiting in life. I mentioned earlier, we as a church are in this season of of waiting, right? We're waiting. But before we install a new pastor, whoever that might be, if we're waiting on a new pastor, might I suggest we're waiting on the wrong thing. God has not called us to faithfully wait for a pastor. This thought may may make us uncomfortable. (laughs) Or maybe we haven't thought about it in this way. But if all you're waiting on is the next pastor for whatever reason, let me remind you that the pastor is not the head of the church. God is the head of the church. And so as we wait and as we prepare for what God has in store, Who is it that we are truly, truly waiting for? And what is the quality of our wait? Do we find ourselves preparing our hearts for the bridegroom and the work that he has for Restoration Church in these days? Are we as a church listening to God and waiting patiently for him to move? If God were to call our church to step in perhaps an an unfamiliar direction, would we be ready to respond to his leading or would we be caught unprepared? Perhaps you're waiting in your own life for something significant. What's the quality of your wait? Who is it? Who is it truly that you are waiting for this morning? (laughs) 